Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite powered by a reliable deep linking engine lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslier.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. Uh, hey, welcome everybody to this week in games episode, I believe, 154. Uh, we're going to cover a bunch of news that we just literally decided what we're going to cover. So we're going to talk about Steam banning and Epic allowing NFTs. You guys love NFTs. We're going to keep cu- talking about them. Uh, Eric Kress has been wishing for this article for a long time. This is like in your wheelhouse. So kick-size shareholders stu- sue Stillfront for $30 million in earnout dispute. Um, we got my article that I just changed. I was about to talk about blockchain gaming, but I'm going to change it since Eric is here, uh, uh, Suford is here. We're going to talk about Iron Source, we're buying Tapjoy, we're going to talk about app loving, um, 
whistleblower stuff just briefly, and then we're going to talk about Unity's uh, ad mediation platform coming into beta. So, how is everybody doing? This this episode, just to, as a forewarning, is Eric is right episode, right? So, there's so many proof positives of things that I've been saying over the past year and a half. So, if that's going to annoy the hell out of you, you might as well stop listening because this is an <laughs> Eric is right episode. Can just I stop it. listening too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys could leave too. I could just do this on my own, right? I mean, I got, I got a solo million podcast of them, right? today. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be actually awesome. pretty fun <laughs> um, alright any corrections from the previous episodes because usually we need to apologize to somebody yeah. I, I, actually I wanted just a quick clarification before I say how right I am on everything um, <laughs> so my Halo explanation was a bit off after I listened to it um, I think Halo is going to be an amazing game that justifies the purchase of a new Xbox and supports the overall ecosystem of Xbox. You know, the Xbox people that love Xbox are going to buy Halo and likely even push them to buy new consoles to the extent that they're available, right? And also, in some ways, potentially will push subscriptions of Game Pass. What, I'm, what I meant to say was that this is unlikely to pull Sony players over to Xbox, this Halo game. So it's not that compelling. The only way that you could do that is something like from Bethesda, like a, a big game from Bethesda, like Elder Scrolls or their, their sci-fi game they're working on. That could be pull people over and, and convert PlayStation owners to Xbox. Uh, and overall, I think Microsoft is, has the secondary console for this generation. They will split the U.S. market. They will lose big in, in Europe. But everyone will buy the, it as a secondary console for these big temple titles like from Bethesda, etc. So I just want to be clear on that point because I don't think it was very clear. Um, but even as a secondary console, like they also have the PC Game Pass. So Halo comes out, um, obviously will be big on Xbox. It will be going into PC Game Pass. Do you think there's actually a play here that they're going to be starting to pull PC players from... You know, Fortnite, Apex, Warzone, and that would you know convert them to Game Pass. I don't know. Halo seems very divisive these days. It's not the epic thing that it used to be. I mean, the game looks good, but it's just not that good. You know, again, I would say the same thing is that a Bethesda game coming out would pull people definitely into Game Pass, most likely, or either, or they, or they purchase the game. But no, I don't think Halo is that big of a franchise anymore. So. I'm just wondering with the, the recent news that uh, they didn't hit their targets for the Game Pass subscription growth, um, I'm assuming Halo is going to be the big beat that shoots them up, but I don't know how that, that, that goes against their target. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, we should see it recover, though, when that game comes out. But it comes out in December, which is just a terrible time to some degree. Um, so, anyway, we'll see. I mean, look, I think Halo looks good. I'm going to play it, so, but, I, I, you know, but it's just not a big driver as it used to be. Mm. Um, all right, the next update, starting with the things that I'm always right about. Uh, today, Warner Brothers and AT announced the first example of Stadia white labeling their tech, right? There's not, in this service, there is not one mention of Stadia. Not one, right? It basically looks like an AT&T and Warner Brothers service that is delivering their Batman Arkham uh, Knight game, evidently. So, as we said years ago, year and a half ago, whenever it was, is that Google Stadia was destined to die. Ultimately, they'll likely white label it to people that need the tech. And that seems to be what's happening right now. We'll see what other 
places that they can license this technology to, uh, but creating a games service, it was never made sense from the get-go. Uh, the second one was, uh, we just they just announced that um, this Halo co-creator, Marcus Leto, is moving to create a Seattle studio for Electronic Arts. And I don't think I mentioned this specifically last week, but I just mentioned it before, is that one of the things that Laura is likely going to do is build out the studio org. Because under, and this is like update on Laura Miali, like basically under Soderlin and Jorgensen rule Blake, uh, the CFO, they basically cut everything to, to the bone, right? They basically focus, focus, focus on, you know, like four or five games a year, etc. What I think is likely going to happen under Laura's rule, and also what I think EA, the long-term bull thesis on EA, is that they have just much more capability from a studio perspective, and they Laura will start building out more and more studios, whether it's mobile or console. And so this is an indication. This guy was basically creating this disintegration, which I had never heard of. It was like a, a, a hybrid between a real-time strategy and first-person shooter, which, ironically, we did that with Command & Conquer back in, in, in 2000, in the knots, right? But that, that never worked out because it's too hard. But anyway, the point is is that they're going to expand the studios and build more games, which is awesome, right? And I think that's what, what will help EA, you know, uh, take advantage of this cycle. Um, Miska, then, you, that's, his name's not his name's not Lito. It's Lehto, right? He's a Finnish guy, right, Miska? Yeah, yeah, he's a Lehto. Do you know him? Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> unlike people think, I literally don't know every Finn in who works in games, but I do mo- know most of them. I do not know this this fine gentleman. Uh, is he is he is he from Finland or does he did he grow up in the U.S.? I I literally don't know any of anything of him. Like I've never heard, and that, that surname uh, is like the most like like Jones. Yeah, like yeah. that's uh, yeah, yeah, it's like sure. the most common surname. Uh, but he's been right, reporting no. it to, to Vince and Pella, right? Like it's oh, right, sorry, right, right. Like there's Laura Miele. Vince is setting up all these shooter studios um, to right. become kind of this incubation hub for all these shooter games. No, right. But under under the the old rule, I don't think they would be expanding studios the way they are doing it right now. So Vince yeah. now, I think, has four different teams, right? He has the Apex team, some other LA team, um, another team that's working on probably Titanfall. Three and then and then uh, and then this new team, right? So yeah. that's at least four teams, probably more, but I, I'm not really sure. Um, but Vince is like picking up a lot of you know ex- you know responsibility, which is great because Vince is amazing, right? So you know, good for them. Um, to, the last uh, thing, I, I also, uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's unfair to expect you to know everything in gaming. By the way, there's not <laughs> that many people. Like you should know everything in gaming. It's not. It's not I like a apologize. weird thing to ask. I, I, I apologize. I will connect with this fine gentleman and we'll make sure uh, to know uh, more of him. <laughs> dude, I, I think he's on the first name basis with the Commerce Secretary of Finland, dude. Like he should know everybody in that fucking country, right? It's a small country, right? It is. Anyway. It's a tiny country. <laughs> the way you're shilling out all these Finnish companies, you know, you might as well you should know everybody, right? All right. That's true. Uh, and um, fu- yeah, go ahead. Should I Go do ahead. the app loving thing or wait? No, don't talk about app loving because app loving just became an article on its own. We're going to cover that with Sufert and Eric. You will have your chance to to, to dunk as yes, you always <laughs> want to. So let me let me let me talk about my update. So um, actually, I don't know how to pronounce this. Is it Patron or Patron? Uh, a new fund from former Riot colleagues locks down ninety million. Either or. Uh, I actually talked to oh, Brian, Brian Show. Joe. 
Yeah, Brian Cho and Jason Yu. I talked with them um, a couple weeks ago. So Brian start, spent last seven years with Riot Games. Uh, before that, he was two years at Andreessen Horowitz. Jason, also a former Riot employee, actually worked out of Berlin. Their whole investment strategy is around Web3. Uh, in my brief conversation with them, you know, fine gentlemen, and um, they were talking about that they're going to focus a lot into gamification. So it's not purely gaming fund, uh, but they are looking at a little bit broader sort of Web 3.0 um, platforms like, you know, Robinhood and, and other ones that, that have a gamification element. Uh, what's kind of interesting about it is the, they're both former A16Z. They're both, I know, I don't know if they're both former A16Z, but they're both former Riot. And uh, if you consider A16Z's gaming investments, they have been very like former Riot employee focused. So that seems to be the well that they are, you know, picking from. And I kind of see that this. Um, this this fund would also be looking into similar well as A16Z, and I think the A16Z founders or there, there's some kind of a connections also before in terms of LPs in that fund. But definitely interesting to see in what they invest, um, and and how they progress. So, congrats on them to for raising the fund and wishing them lots of luck. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now, we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games. And I'm sure you got the people part covered. But how fantastic your, tru your tools truly are. Well, listen, if your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks. With visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep, you all, to keep all your server code in C-sharp means life is simpler for your programmers and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to Beamable.com because Deconstructor of Fun told you so. Uh, next news is Scopely is to acquire GSN games from Sony Pictures Entertainment. Uh, for those who don't know GSN, they made last uh, in during the last 12 months, they made $172 million with only 6 million downloads. Their downloads have been actually increasing quite alarmingly during the last couple of months. Uh, they're normally hovering around 500,000, but they're now 350. I think the IDFA definitely hurts them because their top games are Solitaire, Tri-Peaks, uh, Bingo, Bash, and GSN Casino. I don't think these are very, you know, new games. Um, they, they haven't, but, um, but very, very profitable games, uh, assuming just looking at the numbers. Now, on Scopely's perspective, this is a good acquisition because they really need a boost in revenue. March was their top month. According to Sensor Tower, they made $56 million, uh, in net revenue in March. In September, just last month, they were down to 47. And I started to compare Q1s to Q3 of, of this year, and um, they, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty bleak list. 
the fourth largest game, WWE Champions, was down 28% in terms of revenue. Fifth largest game was down, which is Looney Tunes, was down 15 Sixth largest games, Walking Dead, down 15%. Seventh largest games, Wheel of Fortune, down 39%. Eighth largest game, Scrabble, down 28%. And in fact, out of top 10, there's only one game that has been growing in terms of revenue. And that was uh, Tuscany Villa, which was up actually 25%. Uh, but it's uh, it's their actually 10th largest game. So uh, adding these casino games will be a much needed boost to their, to their revenue. So congrats to Scopely for, for the acquisition and hope they can uh, figure out uh, how to turn around their, their existing portfolio that has not been... You know, doing so so well post IDFA. Chris, do you have a comment? I, 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 you know, this is a good asset in the sense that I'm sure they're profitable. It's probably pretty pretty good, but like this doesn't solve the problem of of, of organic growth, right? This is the same situation as Stillfront, Zynga, Embracer. You know, all mm. these congr- you know aggregators is like this is just a band aid, right? And and what they knew, need to do is build and scale new games. And my understanding is that Scopely has a crap ton in development. And, yes. oh, I forgot to use, I forgot to add the Jam City thing. The Jam City was, came out with two interesting games in their pipeline that, that looked interesting to me. But mm. um, anyway, I I don't know. I don't know if I like this all that much. I wouldn't get into Casino right now. It, it seems like going to be really, really challenging going forward to scale these games or to even maintain the audience. So maybe I'm wrong. We'll see about it. Um, but... Uh, I was wondering why Scopely was so freaking quiet, right? Like, nothing seems to be going on over there, but this is a big, big deal for them. It's a billion dollars, right? It's no joke. So. Well, wait, so hold on. So the, the, the deal structure was quite interesting. So it's 500 in cash and 500 in preferred equity. So through mm. this acquisition from Sony, Sony became a shareholder in Scopely. Got it, got it. What's yeah. really what's really interesting? This is Sony Pictures, right? But the the, yeah. the Sony uh, corporate is trying to expand themselves into mobile, right? Like they're just hiring a bunch of people. Um, but this is the only mobile stuff they had, right? So yeah, I yeah always, for now. my understanding was that this this was always like uh there was always like kind of a misalignment, right, in terms of ownership. That, that's kind of my understanding around around the the GSN asset, and so I think they'd been kind of looking for a new home for it for a while, which I think Scope right. is a good, it's a great place to land. But yeah, that's my understanding too. Scope is working on a ton of stuff. I mean, they have they have a lot of studios now. I know, I yeah. know, but the, they haven't had a new release in a long, long time, right? Yeah, yeah. well, so, but I don't think uh, anybody has. Okay, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's like a really tough business out there, right? It's, so, it's all about yeah. live now, right? Like, who can grow their live businesses? I, I, yeah, I wouldn't. Right. I wouldn't hit no. so many of these companies for not launching new games. It's just that's not the business anymore. It's growing what you have. Yeah. You know? exactly. Yeah, but Acquiring. I'm telling you, the shareholders are not feeling that. Right. That's not. That's, uh, share- that's I, not a sexy. I'm sure it's not sexy, not sexy for shareholders, dude, but the thing dude, is, that's the reality of the business. I know. Stillfront is getting destroyed right now, dude. I mean, it is like it is like abomination, right? We're gonna, well, we'll get there in a minute. Yeah. But, but like, we'll, we'll get. <laughs> we skipped over like Marvel Strike Force. Sure, there's been a short-term decline. I think we can expect that given the COVID bump. And Scopely was one of the companies I think we all looked at through COVID, and we're like, they got one of the biggest ones, right? So for them to be declining over the last few months, I don't, like I'm not gonna knock them that hard. We think we knocked them pretty hard before, saying that that COVID bump was temporary. 
Um, so I think this is just natural after IDFA and COVID. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I have faith yeah. Scope we can turn it around. Yeah, same, same here. And and we're, I, I'm not knocking them. I just went through their portfolio and just giving some numbers and. Their top three games didn't decline that much. I think there was like a 6% decline or 5% decline, and that's Star Trek, that's Strike Force, and um, I forgot the third largest game. Um, anyways, good games, big company. They have been growing, but we've kind of used to Scopely being significantly bigger every year. Or at least every second year they get a bump, and this is one of those bumps. I mean, their revenue will be up significantly year over year due to the acquisition of GSN, so it's a, it's a good move for them. That's That's what I'm trying to say. Anyway, um, a piece of NFT news: Concept Art House, which is a uh, you know one of the biggest art so- art outsourcing um, developers. It's a developer and a publisher. They've gotten into NFT games and raised twenty five millions. You know, in many cases, they are the ones that supply the art for all the parties to actually sell those collectibles to the fans and the gamers. Uh, but uh, as an example, they teamed up with Gala Labs to create NFT drops celebrating a 30th anniversary of Sin City by Frank Miller. That led to a record-breaking sales, including the auction of an original Sin City artwork by Miller, sold by $850,000. So naturally, a lot of cash. Somebody else is making a ton of money from the pictures that they make, so they are going to jump into into the same stuff. So. Good for them. I don't. Uh, this I don't get. This this is bubbly to me. So they are. I I, I, oh, could, I couldn't understand. <laughs> this is top. This is this is Joe Kennedy getting a shoe shine. Like they are an art production company, right? They 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 have they employ artists and they make art. Yeah, outsource art. Not even their million. own. Outsource art. So they out. So they so if I'm if I'm a gaming company pre pre yeah pre twenty five million dollar raise. If I'm a gaming company and I don't have enough artists on staff, I say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, we need you to fill in Concept some of the art background house. art. Yeah, we need some, some sprites. Um, Anything. And, th- and that's 3D, what, and they send me a, animation, you name it. They and they, do it and they share, they share, a, they share a, a Google Drive and there's all my art assets there. And I go through and say, okay, this Correct. is great. Here's your money. And now yeah. they've raised $25 million to, to be an mm-hmm. NFT gaming company. Yeah, because they can draw. And they can make models and animate them and do cool illustrations. Right. So why not? <laughs> so, okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, <laughs> I wanted Fair to. Enough. So uh, I, I want to update. I always, like. I wanted to also look back at some of the games we'll be talking about. So BeatStar, uh, we were just yesterday in a restaurant and somebody was saying that it's on top of the uh, the charts in the U.S., at least in top 50 grossing. So I went out and looked at the, uh, the numbers. So currently BeatStar... Uh, from Supercell slash Space Ape, a uh, collaboration game, the uh, revenue per download has gotten a little bit down. At highest, it was $0.26, cents, but it's now at $0.17. Cents. It's, it's making about 400000 in net revenue per month. Um, the downloads have decreased significantly. Of course, the, uh, the, all the cross-promotions are over, etc. Uh, so 400000 uh, a month, and the downloads went from you know the peak of $2.6 million which is, um, you know, not, not the craziest week, to uh, current about 300000 And, um, oh, actually, sorry, they're making 400000 in a in a week. So it's, uh, for, for Space Ape, this is, a, this is a solid game. Like, Space Ape doesn't have a multi-billion dollar, like, they don't, they don't have the biggest games. And for them to have this game in their portfolio, if they can keep it up with, uh, with a couple of million a month, that's going to be a good addition. 
but it's it didn't become as big of a game as as likely was uh, expected with with this type of a collaboration. What are you talking about, dude? This is absolute <laughs> mice nuts, dude. It's like it's nothing, dude. What, <laughs> it's it's a, not a I'm just updating. game. I, I'm just updating because we talked about it, we wrote about it, and, and yesterday somebody reminded me, and I was like, "Oh, you're playing Still Beat Stars?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, this is actually pretty fun." And it was in top fifty grossing, so I had to go and look at the numbers, like where we completely off in our deconstruction. And um, I'm happy to say we weren't. Uh, it's a good game, but it's not that big of a game as as, uh, as was likely expected. Anyways, tiny. I'm going to move on to, to the couple of shill articles. So I'm going to say that uh, Order of Meta raised $1.5 for mobile shooter game. They are Helsinki-based, but to be honest, like two of the founders are in Helsinki. Dude, the rest of the have, team like, is Carrie, currently... Hey, hey, by the way, do you have carry and play ventures or something? Because every time they make an investment, they talk, you talk about it on the podcast, right? Just, I just mean, friends. I, just friends. Just buddies, huh? Yeah, I, I mean, they're great guys, but like, look, you know, 1.5 million investment is 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 it's chump change, dude. Come it's, on, I think it's I think it's pre-seed. I'll, I'll give this to to Play Venture. So, uh, Harry, who's one of the founding partners of, of Play Venture, he was the he was the guy who set me up with this podcasting studio uh, in Finland, where when I before I did like a couple of episodes, and he was like, "Hey, talk to this guy," and he paid for the podcasting studio. So essentially. He was the VC of Deconstructor of Fun podcast, so I'm gonna I'm gonna continue giving giving feedback, giving shout outs to to Play Ventures and to Harry for noticing this amazing podcasting talent and investing early by, by giving all the means to to grow. So, anyways, uh, yeah, also, also Eric, yeah, go ahead, Eric. It's it's a little unfair to point out that sometimes we talk about the investments that Play Ventures makes. And not mention the fact that sometimes we also talk about the investments that I make. Oh, and I think, we uh, there we go. <laughs> so, right, moving on. Okay, so anyway, Order of Meta, shout out to them. They're in the same building as us making shooter games. Uh, previous founders from Panzer Dog and Wargaming. And final one, final one. If you haven't listened to the, uh, the podcast that, that is before this with Michael Martinez – who, by the way, Eric Suford has invested in his company, Funcraft, oh, along oh with God. Play Ventures has invested into it. Um, he's, it's, a, it's a really fun podcast. He talks about how, how they were like super small and finding success, and, and their latest game is scaling really nice. He's talking about ad monetization, finding different categories, et cetera, et cetera. But he's most importantly really funny dude, and I recommend listening to that podcast. And by the way, I just got to get a good background for that podcast. Before we did it, Joachim Ackren of the Lead Game Developers, he said, like, are you really going to do a podcast with Martinez? I don't think he's good on podcasts. So we took that as a challenge. And, 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 I, and you listen to it and tell me if it's, if it's good. But, um, but, but there, was a, there was a doubt before we recorded that one. Anyway, pretty, Adam, let's pretty, talk pretty about sure we're all terrible on podcasts. I don't even understand how <laughs> <Yeah>. we're here. <laughs> um, okay, so I did want to give a quick update on League of Legends Wild Rift because really it, it has come alive. It just launched in China on October 6th, 7th, and Sensor Tower's estimates have it jumping from about 100k a day to 4.3 million a day on October 18th. Keep in mind that is a spike, and keep in mind that's sensor tower estimates. So obviously it's only covering a portion of China. The actual number is actually likely higher. Um, and we compare that to the spike that happened at launch in the West, which was 500k. Um, so that just shows you how important China was to the Wild Rift business. So of course, this is a one-day spike. It's coming down. 
Um, but this is really likely where League of Legends Wild Rift gets its true audience and where, you know, we, we see where it flattens out and actually starts to grow. Year two really is going to be the critical point for Riot to reach that higher baseline and turn this into a live service. They're likely now firing on all cylinders and getting characters, cosmetics, major events into that game in order to raise up their RPI through that next year. Um, but I did want to talk about our bet from Twig128, um, because right now the game is at 90 million net revenue on 56 million downloads. Um, keep in mind that's Sensor Tower estimates. And it's coming up to its one-year anniversary. But when we did our bet, we looked at it from the first year from its launch in March, and only in the West. So we did not include things like China, Japan, Korea, because we just can't predict whether or not this game would ever be approved. And looking at the trajectory based on that filter, we're looking at 32 million in net revenue. And it's looking like it will hit between 50 and 60 million by next March, which is in line with Eric and my forecast. Um, yeah! Woo! <laughs> so one of, us, one of us will win. Um, but the loser will either be Joe or Miska, who Joe's at 80 and Miska, you're at 40. Um, but yeah, you're, yeah, you're probably, yeah. it's probably I'm, not going to happen. Just accept I'm, you're going to be buying. I'm buying the steak dinner. You're buying. Yeah. I'm buying. I'm buying. The steak. Yeah. yeah. Well, A5A. Let's go there. Yeah. yeah. In San Francisco, a GDC. Yeah. Look, the moral of the story for all you guys out there, including, <laughs> including Super Evil Megacorp and I don't know Netmarble and whoever else is making. MOBAs. Stop making MOBAs <laughs> for the West. That's it. I've been saying this from the very beginning. Just stop it. No one wants to play these stupid games, okay? <laughs> anyway, moving on. Oh, oh it's me. Right. I did want to give one quick update, too. Uh, when you mentioned BeatStar, I did a double check on uh, Everdale. Um, it's soft launch, oh, at least yeah. in Canada. Um, it has now reached 1.65 RPI. Um, and look, I still have to kind of jig around with some of these RPIs. I don't really like sensor tires UI sometimes when you're trying to do a, a line by launch in these soft launch countries. Mm-hmm. But still, 165 is in line with Heyday, in line with Township, in line with Farmville 2, not in line with Klondike and um, uh, sort of modern day takes, but still, mm. it's, it's not you know crazy low, right? Like, I think. Um, uh, from the blog post, there, there was calls that this probably wouldn't work. And of course, looking at the RPI, the previous soft launch, it wouldn't work. But um, the signal so far is that it's, you know, it's, it's within yeah. range. To be clear, the blog post stated few of the things that could be done, uh, that could be added or changed for it to work better. Not that it couldn't work. Okay. Yeah, I, the revenue yeah. seems to be declining pretty steadily yeah. so it's not they're not keeping players around so i don't know yeah, if in the in, in the end the question will be about marketability like can you market this game does it have low enough cpi because this game doesn't have organics like it, it's it's not a clash of clans game it won't have this massive boost so how is supercell going to grow this if they can get the marketability low enough and they seem to have invested quite heavily in this in this you know kind of a new ip um then then it has a then it has legs but if they haven't, then they might need to do some kind of a rework of art, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's all about marketability in my experience and in my opinion in this case. All right, moving on Take it. to the first story. Um, <laughs> and the third or fourth thing that I'm right about, right, is that Kixai shareholders sue Stillfront for $30 million over earnout dispute. So... Basically, they're claiming that Stillfront deliberately breached their merger agreement 
um, over the $30 million earnout. Now, for background, in June, they were acquired, Stillfront was a, bought Kickstack for $90 million, and they had an earnout for $30 million based upon financial performance in 2019. So their claim is that Stillfront did some creative accounting to make their results look worse because it was based upon earnings before interest and taxes, EBIT, EBITDA. Stillfront adjusted its pre-merger expenses to make this profitability metric worse. Um, and then also Stillfront cut spending on Kickside Games after the merger, which led them to mis-execute against their games, I suppose. Um, and they also laid off 20 people from Kingdom Maker, uh, which evidently was not part of the acquisition. It was separate. They were trying to get that spun out or something like that. But anyway, so frankly, this is not that all interesting of a story on the surface, but you know, it feels to me that probably Kickside just didn't hit the targets and they underperformed expectations. But ultimately, they were not able to hit their earnout targets. But it does illustrate the following, right? When you acquire underperforming assets with the expectations of stability and growth, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous proposition that this is going to happen. This is what I've been saying about these roll-ups, right? Kixai has been a struggling business since 2010. You know, this guy did not move over to mobile. He kept doing PC games, even though it was like overwhelming evidence that mobile was taking off at the time, right? <laughs> they still haven't pivoted to mobile after all this time. It's like it's remarkable, right? Now he's long gone, but nonetheless, they're still like in the dark ages in terms of development. They're still doing flash games, I think, for all I know, right? But when you acquire these assets, what do you think is going to happen, right? Like, you think that these are all of a sudden, they're just going to start miraculously performing? It doesn't work that way, right? And so, again, this is like the proof positive of what I've been saying all along. When you acquire and roll up these, these assets that are tier two, three, four, and five studios, it's going to be a nightmare, right? Because you're not going to be able to get new games. You're not going to be able to keep the, keep the, the momentum going, the profitability going. So... Now, when you think about it, what are the motivations for the Kickside team now, right? They've just gotten, they feel that they've gotten screwed, right? And what about the other people teams in the network, right? What happens when, you know, like maybe they're not going to feel like they're getting invested in enough, right? And so these huge earnout type structures are great on paper and they're easy to execute because they, they create this, you know, huge ability for everyone to profit. But what, what happens when it goes wrong? It goes really wrong, Right. And so I think it's not long before we start hearing earn, continue earnout disputes at Embracer, at Stillfront, at the other aggregator in Europe. Like, what's the name of that company? But MTG. MTG. Yeah, well, all these guys, right? But as I said last week, is that deal integration is the hardest part of this business, right? It's like getting the deal done is like twenty percent, but integration is eighty percent. And so, like, out of all these hundreds of acquisitions that are going on right now, mm. you know, it's probably going to be, that's the failure rate's going to be somewhere around those, that, that, that level, I would think anyway. Mm. So anyway, we will see, but I've been saying this for, for the, for the last, since we started covering the still front stuff is that this is, this stuff does not work unless you have like central ops that are managing and making sure that everyone is taken care of. And even then it's like a challenge, right? So anyway, I, I don't want to pick on still front. I, I still love, they'll, you know, Andrew's there, and 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 I, you know, the whatever the guy came on the podcast, Alexi is really great Alexi. guy and stuff. But this is going to be the challenge, right? Getting things executed, mm -hmm. you know. And um, Embracer is looking at like a barrel down. Uh, you know, there's a, they're looking at a barrel down. Sorry, what's the question? They're looking down the barrel <laughs> of a gun right now with Saints Row, which looks like it's going to be a flop. And then, you know, de uh, 
Dead Island, which may or may never come out. Who knows? But so anyway, I um, I think these aggregators are all falling. And if you look at the stocks, like the still front is just getting destroyed. It's absolutely destroyed. And Embracer is starting to crack as well. So anyway, that's all yeah, I got. I, okay, I'll, I'll give a fun fact about Kickside. Their last game on browsers was a MOBA called Tome, the Immortal Arena. So that did not fly too well, but I remember playing that one. Uh, what's interesting about this article is, is you know, Silfron has been talking, like many of these, if not all of these aggregators have been talking about the, the family approach, where the, uh, the founders get to have all the power and basically they're just joining this one big happy family. But in this article, they're stating that they cut the teams, that they cut UA spending. So that means that they were more active than based on the perception. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but, but definitely this shows activity from the parent company. And when it comes to the challenge of the future, like whether we're talking about Silphone or MTG or EG7 or Embracer, um, I think the challenge in the market is as the stock starts going down, and it has, then acquiring new assets will become much more difficult because I believe that the, the appeal of these acquisitions have been that you get to join the uh, the gravy train and everything is going up and you you can you know offset part of the uh, the acquisition price with stock but in these type of cases especially when the stock is going down it's not it's it's not only demotivating for the existing family members but it also makes it much harder to acquire new ones yeah i i, I did a i got a asked to be an expert witness in a lawsuit one time re- related to us uh earnout and like that stuff just gets nasty i mean when when things go well and everyone gets paid it's it's great but you know that's that's probably like a, a minority of the time and and when they don't like there's so many factors that can be brought into this and i'm, I'm not this, this has no bearing on the still front situation i'm not very familiar with that i'm just talking about this one case that was a couple years ago where i got asked to be an expert witness i said no Right, because there's no way. I mean, like, you know, I guess I basically was given all this data, and it was like, okay, well, UA spend had clearly dropped, but game metrics had dropped, right? And so it's like, well, the game metrics dropped because the UA team didn't know what they were doing, and so the UA team didn't know what they're doing, and the game metrics dropped, and they mm-hmm. cut UA. And it's like, well, what? I don't, That's, <laughs> you know, I I, I can't, it, it like sort of ex post, I can't go through and 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 really understand what was going on in the moment, right? It's just it just it's a very very it was a very very contentious situation, and, and it, it felt like there's no way to really prove one way or the other that something happened, except that the people that thought they were going to get some money didn't get it. Um, and I understand, you know, I can understand being upset about that, but how, you know, that it was a dynamic situation. So anyway, it's just it's a very you know I think like that when you're a founder and you're looking at one of those deals, this is something you have to keep in mind. Like some of this stuff is just going to be out of your control. Yeah, I was I was asked to do the same thing. It may have been for the same lawsuit, for all I know. But like, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I actually didn't do it either, and it wasn't for really righteous reasons. It was because I didn't want to go out there and start ripping on, you know, some of the bigger companies uh, that was that was involved. But um, and, oh, and that, also, that was my re- that was my reason too. That was my reason too. I didn't want to yeah. Cause, I, because I was going to do like a de- deposition. I was like, no way. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I. I, I being an expert witness is not fun, by the way. It's it's not it's not fun. I did it for a Nintendo, a case against Nintendo, a while back, and uh, that was I did it once because I wanted to try it, but I'll never do it again because it's so much freaking work. <laughs> it's like too much work for me, you know. But it was really interesting. <laughs> but uh, we won. We beat Nintendo, but uh, but uh, we didn't get much. But anyway, I always 
I always think about the the Exola article that, that you said. Like, if they would be tracking you the same way, it would be, <laughs> no. be fine. And every time you say, like, it would have been too much work, I'm like, that. I, I literally think about you going through the, uh, like, <laughs> being fired. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be saying this on the podcast because my consulting arrangements are going uh, to hear about it. But uh, I do quality work. But yeah. I don't work all the time the way yeah. some people do. Intensive, like, intensive like, work. See, this is why I feel guilty because Adam Telford works his motherfucking ass off, dude. Like the guy is always working and he's stressed and he's like frustrated and he's like screaming uh, and, you know, his screaming is not like my screaming. But meanwhile, I'm sitting here like, eh, you know, it's all right. Don't worry yeah. about it. You know, move on. Okay. All right, now I'm just completely... Okay, let's get started. Let's get started on article number two. Now let's take a little break from all these news and talk about consultants. You know, one of my biggest triggers in gaming is consultants. These big firms think they can manage game making with PowerPoints. They are literally the destroyers of studios. Don't get me wrong. It's not that these folks aren't smart. They're some of the smartest and highly educated people in the world. But they lack two key things passion for games, and industry experience. To put it simply, they lack context. One area that context is absolutely critical is consumer insights. As the name implies, you are trying to understand your customer and gain keen insights by asking the right questions. Without the right context, it's almost impossible to be successful. The big CI firms fall into the same trappings. Just because a firm has gamers on staff doesn't mean they know how to, what it takes to build and ship successful games. You need to work in the industry to really understand the challenges and agony that studio and marketers have to go through to bring a product to market. That's why I recommend Beta Hat. Stan Kwan and his team at Beta Hat have deep experience in the industry that provides the context needed for actionable insight. Stan's own experience includes 15 years within the gaming industry leading strategic functions at EA, GameSpot, and Ubisoft. Other research firms package up gaming and entertainment bucket or use like these old methods from packaged goods industries. Gaming is different. For game CI, you need to understand what people play, where people play, how they play, and why they play. You need to understand console, mobile, free-to-play, software as a service, subscription models. Whether it's consumer segmentation, brand tracking, concept testing, conjoint analysis, or focus testing, Stan and his team have the context to deliver exceptional insights into the gaming customer. Please reach out to Beta Hat by visiting their website at betahatmr.com. That's B-E-T-A-H-A-T-M-R.com. Now... Back to the episode. Um, yeah. Back to NFTs. Uh, Epic Games Store will welcome NFT games after Steam has banned them. Um, so this is from Eric's favorite publication, Kotaku. Um, and it's <laughs> by the way, by the way, just for as a record, Kotaku has completely lost their way. Dude, they're like they're they're getting so political. Like every article is like some like. You know, like self-righteous, like you know, fist-pumping baloney, right? I, 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 can't, I can't listen to them anymore. Anyway, I've, I've abandoned. We are aware. We are aware. Okay. Um, in some surprise news last week, Steam quietly updated their rules for games in the store, adding that no longer allowing games built on blockchain technology or that issue or allow exchange of cryptocurrencies or NFTs. And in a direct response to the Verge tweet of that. Um, Tim Sweeney quickly came out and said Epic Game Store will welcome games that use the blockchain tech, provided they uh, follow relevant laws, disclose their terms, and are age-rated by an appropriate group. Of course, just after saying before, uh, Epic, we aren't touching NFTs as the whole field is currently tangled up in an intractable <laughs> mix of scams, interesting, decentralized tech foundations, and scams. So... 
um, more fun with NFTs and battling stores with really the reality of both motivations just being selfish, right? Like Steam likely banning NFTs because they don't get any revenue from them. They don't want the legal risk of games on their platform getting wrapped up as NFTs and blockchain becomes clearer about the tax and legal implications. They obviously have no problem with pay to earn or play to earn, player to player trading, Dota, CSGO, many of the games are built on it and they clearly see the positive impact to retention and monetization in those games. But for Epic, they just see an opportunity to look like the good guy, getting more games on their store, and some upside if this whole blockchain thing takes off. And if it takes off, Epic, I bet, would be the crazy enough store developer to actually integrate a crypto wallet into the store, right? To actually offer devs and players a smoother process of managing the crypto and NFTs earned with the games on their platform. All in line with Sweeney's point of view of open markets, um, which is great. I think it brings up just the precarious position that NFTs and blockchain games are in. Like part of the bull case for blockchain is that the current size will explode when there's reduced friction for signing up for crypto wallets and that you can play on, say, phones and consoles. But while NFTs and crypto remains a legal risk, that friction will remain. So blockchain devs are taken to Twitter to start pointing out that this is the reason for blockchain games to get away from platforms and shift away from walled gardens of Apple, Sony, and Google, and instead move towards instant games and HTML5 as the future for blockchain. But I think overall, this just multiplies your risk. I would not multiply the problems of instant games and their retention against the risks of managing a decentral public economy. Um, so yeah, that, that that's my take is, I, I think it's for selfish reasons on both sides. I think Epic's right, Steam is right. Um, but when it comes to blockchain games going to instant games in HTML5 in order to reach the widest audience, I think that's a flawed reason. Eric? I don't know. I got nothing on this one. No, nobody has anything on it. It seems like they're just, they're just losing the opportunity to, to battle that, it, it, Yeah, it felt like a PR hit, right? Yeah. I, you know, it was just like, because it was like basically one after the other, right? Steam said no, Epic yeah. said yes. You know, Sweeney just like, you know, swinging his PR bat, right? Um, yeah. I don't think there's any meat behind this. They've never. No. I don't even know if they've even thought about it, frankly. You know, so I, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I I agree with Sweeney in his original tweet, which is that you know this space <laughs> is just so scammy right now and and full of just garbage and get rich quick schemes. Like you do have to approach it with caution, right? And like I think mm. you know this idea that you know from some of these crypto zealots is that like. Uh, we're building a new society. We're building. This is the future of money. <laughs> this is this this is money 2.0. Like we don't need these. We don't need these centralized um, organizations. Like you know, this is the future. We give power to the people. It's like okay, well, maybe some of the people really believe that, but 95 percent of the people operating in the space right now are just trying to make money fast. Um, yeah, and exactly. There, there's there's no plan for like a sustainable kind of uh, economy here, and 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 I think you should be very cautious. Now. I hate to do this after giving Mishka, Mishka such a hard time. Um, and now oh, I'm for going shilling. to be a shill. Um, so I have actually signed a deal to, to consult for Forte, right? which is one of the original uh, blockchain gaming companies that is trying to build the infrastructure to support games that are not illegal oh my God. And, 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 that act appropriately. So 
they're, 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 they have a they do have a solution that w will hopefully hopefully um, navigate those creators that want to be inter are interested. You can reach them at <laughs> www. <laughs> Did they just pay you for that ad? Right, like that, that was really like yeah. hashtag ad. That was an ad. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. are friends from Ekabam. Yeah. They all work yeah. at sure. So I, I'm yeah. glad that really smart people. Glad that even on the podcast, you're getting paid, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's good. That's good. Oh, always yeah. be always be closing, right, Chris? No, no. The, the Forte guys are the Forte guys are great. They're not paying me. I have no relationship with Forte, but they're great and they're doing they're they're building something really cool. Um, and like I said, you know, there's. Five percent of the the people in the space are building cool stuff, and and they are really smart. Like I'm blown away by how intelligent some of the people I meet in the space are. But like, there's a lot of people out there that are just straight up scam artists, hucksters, morons who see an opportunity <laughs> to make a lot of money. <laughs> but no. But the the good news is, honestly, the good news is these people are very obvious. They're easy to spot, like exactly. right off the bat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it, it's I, easy to tell who people who don't know what they're talking about, right? Well, Which I include myself yeah, in that, Eric, right, at this point. <laughs> let's let's talk about Eric but, for a bit. But, yeah. but I, 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 I have an objective to learn and to become an expert on this. Oh, oh yeah. And as, on that note, we got the uh, the crypto gaming, blockchain gaming one hundred and one episode coming in, and apparently, pretty much everybody on this podcast is joining. We're gonna grill Ethan Levi. Uh, probably next week, ask him a bunch of dumb questions. Um, well, we can't ask any any other topic of questions. So, um, yeah, hold on for that. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the uh, the last article of the uh, of the episode. So we got actually triple article. Everything is related to marketing on mobile. Uh, first of all, uh, Unity revealed that they have a mediation platform in beta. And this is, this is my I'm gonna, this is my art. This is my article. What are you doing? The, Okay, well, you can cover them, but those are my bullet points. Those are my bullet points. But go ahead, Gary. Go go through. Wait, what are you looking at? I'm, I've got. I put these anyway. Unity go reveals ahead, ad ahead. mediation and bidding coming to its <laughs> So we got a a, a a double double header here. So we've got two two yeah, articles. Got a double Very header. busy busy news news week last last week in the sort of gaming ad tech space. Uh, actually, both of these uh, pieces of news were re re released on the same day. But uh, Unity reveals ad mediation and bidding coming to its dashboard, and Iron Source will buy mobile ad and app monetization firm Tapjoy for four hundred million. So I think um, you know it's a big deal, right? So Unity coming in in the in the mediation and bidding is a, is a really big deal. Um, you know that's a that's a very competitive space right now, but um, you know it's it's a, it's a valuable space and it serves a valuable purpose. And I, but I think it's it's really. Um, kind of significant that Unity is entering that space. Um, you know, one of the one of the issues there, though, is that you know when you talk to publishers, and I guess that I would assume, and well, I, or I, I know this is true, that you know the biggest problem that people have with the mediation space right now is that they feel like um, you know it's it's biased, right? It, um, most of the companies that operate mediation platforms or bidding platforms, they run an ad network. Um, now there's some that don't, right? But uh, you know, like, there's, like there's, AppsFlyer, like AppsFlyer. Uh, AppsFlyer right. doesn't have mediation. You're thinking about Fiber. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I was I'm thinking yeah. attribution. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So Fiber, yeah. Fiber is not well. Now they're owned by um, an ads an advertising Jets. company, but they don't run a mobile yeah. ad network. Well, they kind of do now. It, well, it's okay. So uh, Fiber's not really even. That's not even really true for Fiber anymore. So I think you know. In, so. 
you know, Unity entering the space is very competitive, um, but at the same time they run an ad network, and so you know that that it's not a solution for that particular problem. Not to say that it's it's you know it, it's an acute problem for everybody, but like that's just a concern, right? Like I wouldn't you'd, you'd want these companies to operate in an unbiased way, and well, there's no there's no telling if they are or they aren't. Um, but Unity mm. entering that's that's a big player, and it's coming into the space, and it's 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 going to steal market share from somebody. Um, let's see who it is. Uh, the second news item is Iron Sword. Can I comment? Can I comment on the? Uh, yeah, yeah. Can I comment on yeah. the Unity stuff? So I think uh, like there's a. So I talked to uh, a friend of the podcast, and a lot of this is his opinions, to be honest. Uh, and what he was saying, it's a great move by Unity uh, because it's built directly into their development platform. So there's no extra SDK that is needed. Uh, also, the second part is that that they are very trusted because they. I mean, they they talked about publishing, but. I don't think they have published games, and through that, they're not competing directly with developers. Unlike, uh, as Eric, you were saying, like some of these have ad networks, but some of them actually have their own hyper-casual studios or different types of studios, or like App Loving, all the studios. And thirdly, yeah. with App Loving buying Mopop from Twitter, uh, I think that's a that's a good signal for Unity, because, um, yeah, because well, the, there's there's just less options that are sort of a um, how would I put it, uh, not biased to, to any direction. And through that, they're able to take probably a lot of business in the, uh, in the market. Yeah, so one thing, I'm not, I could be wrong about this, I'm not certain that mediation is available out of the box from mm. Unity-developed games. I think when they talk about the SDK, not needing an SDK, that's probably for the ad network. Um, but I, so I don't know, I don't know that... Uh, and I could be wrong about this, but my I, my sense is that you don't get access to mediation just because oh, okay. you developed the game with Unity. I think it's probably a separate SDK, but that would probably be bundled together with, uh, with you know with, if you have the ad network SDK integrated. Um, but happy to be corrected about that if anybody you know thinks I'm wrong on that on that point. But yeah, no, I think it's great. I think it's absolutely a great move. I mean, they should enter that. I honestly, I'm surprised it took this long. Um, yeah. But you know, it is it is a really good move, and it, and I, that that was it. It did kind of shake up. Um, you know, shake, it, I think this will shake up the industry, and a lot of people, I think, are—I don't know about worried about it, but it's—it's, it's, you know, it's upsetting the sort of status quo. Um, but I, I think it's a—it's a great move, and they should—they should do this. Um, you know, the Iron Source thing—I feel like that—that's more just of—I I, want to say it's more of the same in terms of just seeing a lot of consolidation in the space, right? I mean, uh, Tapjoy, you know, it's—it's it's one of the—it was one of the first big kind of ad networks. They're famous for their offer wall, but they also do like the mm-hmm. um, incentivized surveys. They basically they, they they sort of like, I would say, more or less own the market for incentivized traffic, um, but you know very profitable company. Iron Source said this is immediately a creative. I think it's I think it's a smart move, um, but I think you're just going to see more and more stuff like this. Well, actually, Taptoy is probably the last real independent ad network yeah. that was available to buy, but you're going to see more and more, um, more and more of this kind of consolidation, like these companies trying to like expand the reach, expand the footprint, and then just buy up all these assets that touch developers and publishers. But mm. um, again, I think that was a smart move. And, you yeah. know, I'm, uh, Iron Source is going to be a good home for Tapjoy. Yeah, and, and just more details to the Tapjoy acquisition. It was uh, aggregated purchase price of approximately $400 million uh, financed with cash from the balance sheet. And Tapjoy experienced substantial growth and is expected to generate approximately $81 million dollars in net revenues in calendar year of 2021 so uh immediate impact on on um on iron sources balance sheet uh just asking around it seems to be like this was the cap for what tap could be worth 
there's some tech that they could add, include more you know video into Iron Source, maybe maybe a few, some features. But overall, it seems to be just you know uh, investors just getting payback for their investment. Last piece. So AppLovin's SDK rerouted Apple's SK at network post back to itself. Now again. I don't know what I'm talking about, but let's try. So it's a, it seems to be a bit of a, a bit of a like, which is a good theme for the whole podcast. Uh, so it seems to be a, a pretty reckless move. And according to my sources, they got caught doing something that was not worth it. Um, you know, some people feel that that AppLovin seems to be looking data as a commodity uh, in the open markets. It's something that can be bought, it can be sold, it can be traded, and you know, no matter who benefits. Again. This is the uh, the type of I was just asking information, and this is the type of information I was I was uh, being given by people in the industry. So apparently, they attempted to slip this by the publisher community and have all advertisers post back be directed to Max's publisher SDK. So this means that all sensitive financial user ad network data was copied and directed to Max as publisher SDK, which means copies that should go to the advertiser and MMP uh, went. Er- um, you know, attribution platform went to other publisher right. patent. Go can ahead. I, can I is this let, wrong? Let me, no, yeah. I wanted so to I, bring this article on because you are here, and I'm like, uh, it, so, I know. So, I yeah, know. go I ahead. Didn't, I didn't want to. I didn't want to cover this. Okay, here's what happened. Um, okay. So, so what uh, in iOS 15, Apple said so there was a, there was uh, so okay. So iOS 14, right? SK Ad Network. By design, the, the postback for SK Ad Network attributed installs gets sent to the ad network that sent the user, right? That that created that install. Advertisers didn't like this because they wanted to get a copy of the postback themselves. If it gets sent to the advertising network, they could decide to withhold it to not share it, right? So what Apple said was, okay, in iOS 15, we're going to give you the ability to receive the postback yourself, right? Because what 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 ended up happening was. All the ad networks said, "Yeah, sure, we'll we'll share the postbacks, no problem." Well, okay, do we know that we're actually getting you know the actual data? Could they be manipulating it? Probably not, but we don't know that. But Facebook and Google said, "We're not going to share that data with you. We're going to keep it, right? You're not going to get access to that. You're going to have to. You're, we're going to share the 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 aggregates with you in the dashboard, but we won't send you the raw data, right?" So Apple said, "Okay, we'll allow you to receive a copy of the winning postback um, for for the the ad network that won the auction. They supplied the user um, when when we attribute those." You should, that, that user will also send you a copy of the postback. So we'll send one to the ad network that won, and we'll send one to you. But you have to update your plist file, your info.plist file on the app. You update the plist file, uh, provide an endpoint URL, and we'll ping that URL with your copy of the postback. Right. So what happened was, apparently, um, at Max was overwriting that file. Right. They were overwriting that file for uh, for publishers, and they were they were overwriting that 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 value with their own um, with their own URL, their own endpoint URL, right? So, so that's that you know, and, and that would be that would be sort of kind of unacceptable behavior from from a a, a, a developer standpoint, right? Like, because that was uh, that was not consented. So, what happened was so and so so then I got I got roped into this somehow. So so someone sent me an email <laughs> t- telling me about this, and there's no way I could validate that, and I don't have time to validate that. So what I did. Was I received the email? I read that. I said, "Oh, okay, that's interesting." And I forwarded it to a journalist. And I said, "Hey, <laughs> I got this email. Take a look." And what You're happened innocent. was, "You're innocent, Eric." <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I forwarded an email. So what happened no. was, I didn't do anything. So what happened was, so I, I could, I, I can't confirm or deny this. I would have to go talk to a bunch of different people, 
Uh, right? So anyway, the journalists looked into it. I guess they found a, a, they, a couple people said, yes, this happened. They wrote the article. And then they somehow roped me into it like I was at the center of this thing. I had nothing to do with it. I just forwarded the email. So the only thing is I, I don't believe this was intentional. I really don't believe this was intentional because they had, they had built a setting. And other ad networks have done this. They've, they've, they've allowed you to overwrite, to, to add their endpoint there because advertisers don't want to create these endpoints themselves. Then they have to maintain them. Right? And then they have to build a system to receive the postbacks. So ad networks have said, look, we'll create an endpoint for you. We'll receive all the postbacks on your behalf, and then we'll make them available to you. And, and that's a useful feature, right? My sense right. is that's what App, AppLovin did here. And it just, for whatever reason, it was buggy, and it auto it turned on automatically, right, without the, user having, without the advertiser having switched it on. Right? It just turned on, on it by itself. Because when they did, when, when there were complaints about this, they did fix it, right? And also, the yeah. thing is, it would be hard to it would be hard to know if this was broken because iOS 15 traffic is only like 20% of iOS traffic right now. So it's not all iOS users that have iOS 15, and so it's not every user that you're getting a postback for. So limited number of postbacks, right? Um, and and so I, I I could see how this was just a bug and it it, it mm-hmm. got flipped on inadvertently and then they fixed it, right? Because because also to be fair, the article was written after they had fixed it, so it, it had already been yeah. fixed at that point. So why do people hey, – like, so I've been also being emailed stuff about AppLovin and shout out to me. I don't send them to reporters. I just <laughs> – <laughs> uh, Even Miska. Uh, even Miska doesn't do that, Eric. Uh, so so yeah, deep throats keep why coming at me. Keep, keep coming at me. <laughs> um, but, but anyways, like, like AppLovin is the, uh, pretty much the only company that people keep sending me dirt about. Like what the hell is going on? Like why do – who hates on them? Like, Dude, what's going on? They do shady stuff, man. I mean, but this all, is their not games, but... all their games are duplicates of, of properties that were built um, with their, you know, sorry. All of their games, their successful games, were games that were on their network with competitors, right? Yeah. So every single one, every single successful game, right? Maybe. So they basically are copying and pasting strategies and games. And that, that's shady shit. I'm, I'm just you saying know? throughout this time of, of, of deconstructive fun, which is now like 10 years, AppLovin is like by far the most dirt that for some reason people keep sending me like I would cover it. You know, this is the most that, that I would cover uh, because this was actually a news. Like I wouldn't go to, to rumors or the words on the street of AppLovin this, AppLovin that. But um, – but, you know, the Matching to Mansion case was a good example when I wrote about that on, on Deconstructive Fun Podcast. Like, shout out to the Deep Throats. They, they, like, I got files sent to me about, like, ad videos and everything and kind of, like, people that describing this. And I'm not going to, you know, of course, uh, I'm not a journalist, but I'm not going to release my sources on this one. But, but it's, uh, it's confusing. Like, this has never happened to any well, other well, company. Look, I mean, it's it. Look, you, you that, yeah, that article was good, but they did that two other times, right? And then on yeah. top of that, they acquire Adjust, which is also yeah. like embedded within so many different, you know, developers. And I don't know the technical side behind it, but the reality of it is that was a breach of, of trust, right, between, you know, you know, AppLove and uh, and publishers that were part of it. So you know, you know, like it's they they, they are aggressive and they are really really good at what they do. They have like yeah. amazing people, evidently, and so but. They are just barreling over others, though. <laughs> and so, like, people get upset, you know? Yeah, it's, they're, they're aggressive and they're successful. And that just invites yeah. criticism, whether it's fair or not. Right. Right. Uh, do you, do you uh, one last question about AppLovin. Like, do you see, like, when developers, do, they, do developers worry that using AppLovin will kind of promote their games? Uh, 
to to become copied since Apple Oven also develops games like do are they as worried as let's say somebody selling stuff on Amazon is worried that Amazon yeah, would no, essentially no, just copy it but I personally I've heard like five or six developers say that exact thing like we are worried that we will be you know we just lost Eric <laughs> um, Eric was like this is too much Apple Oven <laughs> he's left yeah and and then people that pulled out of adjust like big publishers that I'm not going to say but they pulled out yeah. like yeah it's it's it's, a, it's an interesting ecosystem. Now, I'll be honest, like out of all the things that I was right about, I'm certainly not right about App Lovin' so far. Like the stock is almost at an all-time high and mm-hmm. they're benefiting so much from IDFA right now because of, of, of fingerprinting and the cheating stuff. And so... Um, just Content Fortress where they just have so much data and they've built this data. Yeah, I don't... I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling that. But I, okay. I, what I would say is that like, you know, they may have a day of reckoning ultimately, but we will see. You know, we'll see next year. We'll see what happens. Or or not. Or maybe they will just ride it off to the sunset as a super well, yeah, successful company. Yeah, and that's the other thing. There's a certain argument to be made that you need uh, multiple big networks. And so maybe they are the one that survives, right? Yeah. And others may may, may struggle more like Iron Source and, and others. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Okay. Well, on that note, thank you everybody for providing us detailed information and keep sending it to me not to eric suford who will send it to the reporters <laughs> and we will cover if it has legs and um yeah as always we love you guys we appreciate you guys on that note we're signing out bye mm-hmm.